Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keen. All right, welcome back to another episode of Parker's MMA Show. Unfortunately, Parker is not with us due to some technical difficulties, but we are here for episode 83 with a very special guest, Mr. Corey Hendricks. He is a 10-3 light heavyweight fighter, currently competing in the PFL's 205-pound division. He's a veteran of the Ultimate Fighter, ACA and ACB in Russia, survived the promotion change, and he's one of the top submission artists at light heavyweight. Very excited to catch up with him ahead of his matchup with Chris Camozzi in the PFL playoffs. Uh, Corey, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Corey, I, I like to start at the beginning with people. You grew up in Linden, Washington. What was life like growing up? Uh, I mean, I, I think I had a good life, uh, good family, good parents, good upbringing. Um, was always into sports. Uh, it's a real small town. Um, so yeah, small town out in the country. So a lot of outdoors time, uh, lots of playing in the woods and stuff. And uh, yeah, lots of sports, uh, mostly soccer and basketball. And then a couple seasons of football thrown in there too. So you started off playing team sports, you know, you said soccer, football, a little basketball here and there, right? I mean, how did you first get involved in martial arts? Um, well, honestly, it was, uh, basically cause my sports careers kind of ended. I, I went to a community college and played basketball there. And, uh, once I did two years there and once I was done with that, uh, I wasn't really sure like what I wanted to do with my life. So I, uh, I didn't really want to commit to like a four year school or anything and like try and like get a degree if, in something that I wasn't really like sure about. So uh, I just kind of started working jobs and uh, I went from, you know, having basketball for, you know, like three hours a day, six or seven days a week to just having all this free time to myself. And it was my first time in my life having that much free time because I was just always in some some sport, you know. Um, so I had all this free time and I was, uh, working out, like lifting weights at a local gym and, uh, I just met some guys who trained and so I just started talking to them and started training with them and it, uh, gave me kind of a competitive outlet and, uh, yeah, I, I just kind of still had that, those competitive urges and wanted to keep doing something. So I just kind of jumped in with them and started training. So Corey, how do you go from, you know, I'm working jobs, you know, I'm a former, you know, pretty serious athlete, but I'm working jobs. I'm, I'm maybe training with some guys as a hobby to, I think I'm going to take an amateur fight. I think I'm going to see what I can do in the cage here. How do you make that decision? Um, you know, I don't know. It just kind of really happened. Like, uh, you know, I, I never, I'd never was like set on like, you know, this is what I wanted to do as a career. Like I had always wanted, you know, basketball was what I wanted to do, but I'm, six three and uh at six three I, I did not have the skill set to uh be a professional basketball player like maybe in some overseas leagues somewhere i could have played a little bit but uh yeah i just wasn't up to up to that so uh when i got into fighting i was like oh this is something that i could maybe do so i uh you know just kept training and i just enjoyed it and i wanted to do something that i enjoyed so i figured 
if I can make a career out of it, uh, why not? Uh, I'll give it a shot at least. So uh, eventually I determined that, you know, uh, moving to Las Vegas would give me the best opportunity to do that. So I uh, did that and just, uh, it was really kind of, ultimately it was just, I wanted to, I'd rather fail than not know. So I didn't want to be like, you know, 50 years old and be like, oh, I wonder if I could have made it or not. I wanted to either like find out that I could or couldn't. And then, you know, if I fail, then I'll just move on to something else. And if I succeed, then great. So I believe you have you have eight amateur fights, right? You went six and two as an amateur. Is that correct? Nine amateur fights. I was six, two, and I had one no contest. One no contest. That's correct. What's your favorite story from your amateur career of those nine fights? Man, my favorite story? Um, I don't know. It, it was uh, it was it was a real interesting experience. Like uh, it was unlike anything I'd ever done because I'd always played team sports, and uh, this was my first individual sport, which was kind of a big change for me because, you know, like you're on the basketball court. There's ten guys out on the court. Like. Uh, even if everyone is looking at you, you can at least in your head be like, oh, you know, they're not all staring at me. There's like 10 guys out here. There's all sorts of things happening. Like, it's not all just about me. Like, if I make a mistake or whatever, like, it can just kind of, you know, fade into the background. Uh, but then I get out there in a fight, and uh, that was kind of a big shock for me. It was just like getting used to just like, oh, there's there's like nowhere to kind of like hide. Like, everyone's staring at you. Everyone's going to see every single thing you do. I remember before my very first amateur fight, uh, I was warming up and stuff, and I was I was fine. Like, I had no issues whatsoever. I wasn't nervous or anything. I was feeling good. My coach was actually, like, nervous. And uh, I was like, why, why are you nervous? Like, what's the big deal? Like, uh, I'll be fine. And then, you know, they're like, all right, you're up. And uh, I go out there and, like, line up to walk out, and my music starts playing. And they're like, all right, go. And that's when everything hit me. And I was just like, oh, no, what poor life decisions did I make to get myself <laughs> into this situation? But I mean, I can't like I can't quit now. Like, we just got to go do it and just see what happens. So I went out there and uh, turned out good for me. I uh, won by second round TKO. Awesome. So obviously, we talked a little bit about your amateur career. At what point did you know it was time to go pro or you already felt comfortable to go pro um i i did um it was kind of a tough decision for me like there were people telling me i should go pro like you know a few fights into my amateur career and i just didn't feel ready at all and even my nine fights in i didn't really feel ready but at a certain point you just kind of got to do it just kind of like taking my first amateur fight. It was like, I didn't necessarily feel ready, but at a certain point you just got to go do it. So, um, you know, it was just more of a, like, uh, you know, I did nine amateur fights. It's a solid amount. Like it's time to just, you know, find out if I can do this for real or not. So talk about your experience on the ultimate fighter and just kind of, would you recommend that to up and coming young fighters? Um, I mean, yeah, if you can get on, like, it's uh, absolutely you should do it. Like, it's a great opportunity, gets eyes on you, and uh, it's just kind of a shortcut into the UFC. So, like, if, if you're able to do that, like, you can't really say no to it. Um, for me, I, I, it was a great experience. It was also an awful experience because I got injured and had, like, the most pain I've ever dealt with in my life. So, 
if I just ignore the aspect that I was in constant pain the whole time, then it was just awesome. Uh, if I like think about the fact that I was in constant pain, then, uh, you know, it was still awesome and unique and cool, but also it was just really painful. But if, if it wasn't for the injury, I mean, I just would have loved it because it's just a really unique situation. You know, um, not many people get to experience something like that. So, uh, it's just, yeah, it's just a really cool experience. You're in the house for, I was in there for five weeks and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just weird. Like you have no connection to the outside world, no idea what's going on at all. Um, and yeah, all you do is train. There's no internet, no phone, no TV, no books, nothing, but also all your needs are taken care of. Like any food you want is there. Like you just ask for it and they'll get it for you. Um, you're training with a bunch of good guys, good coaches. Um, they take you on some cool outings and stuff. It's just a really cool, unique experience. So one one of probably I mean probably the most you know famous fight from that season is your bout with Khalil Roundtree. You win this fight, and then Khalil goes on to like be on Joe Rogan and really get like a lot of notoriety in the UFC. What's that like as an outside observer saying like I beat this guy and he's getting more famous than me? Um, I mean it's it's not really up to me. Uh. It's, I mean, the UFC just, uh, they liked him a lot more than me. So they were, you know, like we both fought on the finale and I lost, well, we both lost. I lost the majority decision. He lost the unanimous, unanimous decision. And, uh, you know, they decided to give him a couple more opportunities after that. And me, they, they, I hung around for a little bit. Um, but that was right around the time when WME bought the UFC and so I was still on the roster and I was going to take some time off to heal my neck. I think I fought that fight was in July and I was going to take the rest of the year off just to let my neck heal and like get back to 100 percent and, you know, try and go from there. And then uh, WME, they bought the UFC and I think it was around like September or so. They made like a, a ton of cuts. They just trimmed the roster a lot. And I was one of those guys trimmed and uh, which it didn't make a ton of sense to me because at the time, especially like the division was pretty thin. There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, two Oh fivers and, you know, I was like a kind of up and coming guy. So I thought, I thought they'd keep me around, but, uh, for whatever reason they didn't. And then, yeah, Khalil, like he's just kind of made the most of the opportunities given to him, which is all you can really do. It's, it's, yeah, it's not really up to me what they do. I can only work with what I'm given. So, just do what I can. Obviously, from there, though, you get a great opportunity to go to Russia, right, which is a very good organization, very well respected in the MMA world. How did that kind of come together, and what was your experience like fighting over there? Um, yeah, uh, a guy I know, uh, a Russian guy, uh, Rizvan, he just uh, one day hit me up and was like, hey, do you want to fight for ACB at the time? And... Uh, at the time, I wasn't signed with anyone, so I got cut from the UFC. And I, was, you know, they, uh, I knew they were really only looking to use me to build up their guys because now I was uh, a guy who was on the Ultimate Fighter and I fought in the UFC. So I knew they really only wanted me to go over there and lose to their guys so that they could say, you know, their guys had beat a, a UFC guy and just kind of, you know, build them up. But um, 
I mean, just again, work with the opportunities you got. They were paying good, better than anyone else would pay me. So uh, I just took advantage of that and I went over there and, uh, you know, I, I won more fights than I lost. Overall, it went pretty well for me. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. It was, uh, you know, kind of different. I had to travel halfway around the world. It was the travel to get there was pretty rough. Uh, once you're there, though, it's great. Like they always treated me really well. Like I know they wanted me to lose, but they always treated me really well. Um, and uh, yeah, everyone was like super respectful and everything. Like my first fight over there, I was in Kazakhstan and I beat uh, the local guy like from the city in Almaty. And uh, all the fans there, they were still really respectful. And like they I know they didn't want me to win, but they still, you know, you know, gave me like the polite applause and like congratulated me and stuff and actually uh the Kazakh fans are the best MMA fans in the world uh they are the most like passionate like cheering and also the most like educated like American fans are the worst they're just kind of idiots <laughs> like if if they're on the if you're on the ground too long they start booing and like if you're not just like stupidly standing there in front of each other and punching each other in the face like they get angry and bored. American fans suck, but uh, Russian fans are good, and the Kazakh fans are the best. I've I watched one fight there where they had uh, two guys in a title fight, so 25 minutes, and it's about like 10,000 people in the stadium, and it was roughly split like half and half, one one half for one guy, one half for the other, and they cheered the entire fight just the entire time going nuts chanting for their guys like it's great uh was that your favorite place that you visited when you were over there or do you have an, another highlight of somewhere where you got to travel to when you were fighting for acb or aca um i mean just because of the fans probably uh kazakhstan i mean i i'm able to i'm not there for super long and you know i got weight cut and fight and stuff so i don't i don't get to like go out and see a ton of stuff i get to see a little bit like um so i fought in kazakhstan like three or four times moscow twice and poland once and poland was during covid so i wasn't like i wasn't able to go out and do anything so i didn't really actually get to see poland which kind of sucked i was looking forward to that uh moscow was cool i was there near uh it was sometime around christmas so Everything was decorated for Christmas. I went to Red Square and like saw that. That was a really cool experience. Um, yeah, and then Almaty, I went out. The first time I went there, I went out and kind of, actually the first two times, I think, I went out and kind of saw some stuff. And uh, yeah, there's some cool stuff around. It was just a real unique, interesting experience. Just a different, different, just different from what I'm used to. You know, it's a, a whole nother world over there. So yeah, it's uh it's cool to travel and see all that stuff, but it also is a bit of a hassle to like mm. have to travel halfway around the world and fight because it's like I forget what like twenty hours of travel like yeah. just to get there. So it's like it's uh, it's a little annoying getting there. Once you're there, everything's fine, but like it's the time change is like it's a thirteen hour time difference, so it's like just exact opposite and that kind of is a little annoying to deal with, but it is cool to see it. I'm glad that I did it, but it is nice fighting in the United States again. How early are you going for those fights? Um, they would fly me out. Like if I was fighting on Saturday, I would usually leave on, I believe Monday. 
and get wow. there on like because of the time change or get there on like Wednesday or it's either that or I would I would either get there Tuesday or Wednesday mm. and then yeah weigh in Friday fight Saturday and leave like early Sunday morning man that's a quick turnaround um even at that point in your career, though, Corey, you had kind of established yourself as really a decorated submission artist at 205 pounds. And this is a, an era, right, where submissions are becoming kind of rarer and rarer in, in MMA. Why do you think you're so successful, especially with your rear naked chokes? I've never seen someone at your size who's so successful at getting the RNCs. So kind of talk to me about why, why you think you're so successful at that. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. I don't think anyone's ever called me a decorated submission artist. Uh, but I guess, yeah, I do have a few now. Um, I guess, yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe four rear naked chokes or something. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I mean, I train hard, obviously, and, uh, I put in a lot of work on my ground game and I have good coaches and throughout the years I've had various coaches of, and ton of really, really good guys that work, you know, Vinny Magalesh, Neil Melanson, Mike Pyle, like all sorts of great jujitsu guys. Um, I don't know. I just, it's not like I'm going out there like hunting for that. It's just, that's what comes up. Like uh, my first couple, my first couple rear nakeds, they were set up off of uh, strikes actually. So it wasn't like I just went in there and did some fancy jujitsu move. It was just kind of the guy was kind of hurt and that's what happened. Um, yeah, it's it's not like I'm really hunting for those. It's just I just take advantage of what's there. Like I'm not real picky about how I get my finishes. I just I just I want to finish and whatever whatever is there, whatever I can get, I'll take. I do like I do like the fact that I have some submissions though because yeah, there's not everyone has submissions and I, I don't know. I kind of I do like getting submissions, but uh, again, I'm not I'm not picky. Is it is it important to you to be like a complete MMA fighter? Like you said, like you're happy you have submissions. Obviously, you have some knockouts too. It, does that matter to you that you kind of have that blend, or is it just get in, get the finish, and get out as quick as possible? Well, I don't actually have any knockouts. I have some TKOs. I guess one of them was one of them you could call a knockout, but there is a difference, and I do want some actual legit knockouts. And hopefully we'll get them soon. But uh, yeah, I've always, since the very beginning when I started training, I've always thought it was very important to be well-rounded. Like, it doesn't make sense to me to only work on one thing and just be like, oh, I'm real good on the feet, but if I go to the ground, I'm screwed. Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. It's mixed martial arts. I, I believe if you're not good or at least working towards being good in all areas, then you're doing it wrong. So talk a little bit about the opportunity with the PFL. How did that come about? And just in general, how's your experience been so far? Um, yeah, that uh, came up pretty recently. Um, yeah, just a few months ago, really. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd wanted to be in, I'd wanted to fight for PFL for, I mean, since it became PFL. I actually fought for them back when they were WSOF in my third pro fight. Um, and then when they started doing the million dollar tournament, obviously that's a yeah a, like a, a great opportunity right there you know there's not really another way to get a million dollars unless you get to the ufc or in bellator probably you could do that if you get like if you're like the the top of the top of the organization right. which is incredibly hard to do 
you know, right. so that I wanted to fight for PFL for a long time just because that's, I mean, where else are you going to get the opportunity to fight for a million dollars? So, um, yeah, that opportunity came up. Uh, I was done with uh, ACA earlier this year. And, uh, you know, so I was trying to get into PFL. And uh, I wanted to get in just, like, right off the bat into the season. But um, they were already full at the time. Their roster was full. So, you know, I was just kind of up in the air, like, looking for a fight. And then um, I actually went out there uh, with one of my teammates, Tom Lawler, he was on the roster and he was fighting in their first, the first fight of the regular season this year. And, uh, I went out to corner him. We went out and had to quarantine 17 days before the fight, uh, which was another odd experience. Um, yeah. And I went out and I was like trying to be in shape and ready to go in case someone fell out. And then I found out they actually had an alternate already, like a, a like designated alternate lined up. And, uh, Vinny Magalesh missed weight and they called in the alternate and he actually decided not to fight because he, what I was told was that he, uh, like once he was put into the fight that night, he asked for more money, which is just a ridiculous move. So I think he just didn't want to fight. I think he was just trying to, you know, make weight, get his like little smaller chunk of money and then, you know, just leave without fighting. Um, so then after that, uh, like they needed someone to step in. And so I was here and I'm ready. And so we did it. So talk a little bit about that first fight, how you, you know, think it went and then kind of <clears throat> transition to what you're looking at next in the PFL. Well, uh, I got the win. So overall it went well. Um, I did get cracked pretty hard in it in the first round. So that wasn't ideal. Uh, made a couple of mistakes there that led to that. Um, mm. uh, threw a inside leg kick with uh, my head on the center line, and I don't think I set it up well either. So uh, uh, it's, a, it's a mistake, and uh, he capitalized on it, hit me pretty good, and then swarmed me. Um, I, ne- I never felt like I was like out of it. Like I was just like, oh, he's hitting me a bunch. I need to, you know, regather myself and like just kind of stop him from the swarm and then recover which I eventually did. I was able to work my way back to the feet right before the round ended. Um, He seemed to just really want to push me up against the fence and was kind of trying to take me down, but not really trying that hard to take me down. And he is a big, strong guy, so uh, it wasn't easy to get off the fence. He was real good at, uh, you know, pinning me there. And, you know, he has this Greco-Roman wrestling background. He's pretty... uh, pretty credentialed in that area. So he did well with that, just kind of holding me there, but he didn't seem real comfortable out uh, striking on the feet and didn't seem as experienced and on the ground. Um, so if I, the whole time I did kind of want to end up on top of him on the ground, I thought I would have the advantage there, but I also was fine standing at range with him. And uh, I was just never able to do it for too long. Cause he would always, you know, rush me, close the distance, and then push me up against the cage. But, you know, I was just kind of picking away at it, and uh, he was burning a lot more energy than I was holding me against the cage, and he wasn't doing any damage to me. So um, most people keep telling me that I lost the second round. Um, well, I obviously lost the first round. Second round, most people just say I lost, but in my eyes watching it, it's fairly close, but I thought I won because 
while he controlled way more of it, I don't think pushing someone up against the cage should count for anything unless you're doing damage. And I thought I did more damage that round. Um, and then going into the third, like I knew even if I had thought that I won the second, I knew that with judges, you can't like count on that at all. The round was too close to bank on the judges giving it to me. So I was, I, I felt like I needed to finish and just to make it into the playoffs, I knew I needed to finish anyway. So, um, that's what I was looking for. And, uh, I finally got my opportunity. He was pretty tired and I started to, I landed a few things on him. And then, uh, I was, when he rushed in, I was finally able to, uh, get an underhook on him, which I wasn't able to previously. And when I got the underhook, I was kind of able to use that to kind of trip him, get him to the ground. And then I got on top of him. And at that point, it seemed like he was kind of like mentally broken. I think he was pretty exhausted and uh i felt like i would be able to finish him there um i was going for the rear naked for a little while but then i didn't think i was going to be able to get it because usually unless you hit it in a transition it's kind of hard to just get a rear naked you know if you're just on someone's back especially with the gloves on right yeah it's not hard to you know to, you know shrug your shoulders keep your hands up here like you can defend a rear naked pretty easily um so i was trying for that for a minute and then i was like I'm not getting this like it's going to be too hard so i in my mind i was like i need to get on top of him i need to finish him with strikes so i was working towards that but then just the way he started to move it just kind of opened it up and i was able to slip under his neck so i just took advantage of that got his neck and uh, was able to get the choke so what do you know about chris camozzi and and if you have fans here have never seen a Corey Hendricks fight what can they expect from this upcoming fight um, well, Kamozi, Kamozi's, he's real tough. He's, uh, definitely like a real veteran in the sport. You know, he's been around for a long time. Uh, his first pro fight was before I even started training. Uh, he's fought in the UFC for a while. Um, fought a ton of big name guys. He fought Chakra twice and got a lot of good wins. He's got a uh, kickboxing experience. He fought in glory. Um, he's a well-rounded guy. He's uh, got finishes on the ground, uh, finishes from strikes, um, good cardio. Uh, it's a real tough fight, I think, just because he's well-rounded. I, I like going up against one-dimensional fighters. That makes it a lot easier because then I have a clear path to victory. And they're like, oh, they they want to you know be on the ground, but they're not comfortable standing up. All right, I'll just do what I can to keep it standing or vice versa, you know. So I, li I like fighting one-dimensional fighters. Uh, Kamozi is a well-rounded fighter, so that makes it a bit tougher. Um, and yeah, he's not—he's uh, not like elite at anything. You know, he's not like a Adesanya level striking or Jacare level jujitsu or anything. But he's also not bad at anything. He's just kind of good at everything. He's a—he's a real tough fight. So yeah, it's—it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Um, but I believe I have the skills to get it done and get the win. Um, as far as what to expect from a Corey Hendricks fight, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like you can. I mean, maybe maybe you like watching my fights from the outside can speak to that more. But like I, I don't feel like there's one thing that I go out and I just do this thing every fight. Um, it's kind of different for every fighter. Every fighter I'm going against, and uh, also like I have my plan, but the other fighter also has a say in what happens. So it doesn't always go the way I, I want it to. It doesn't even, yeah, I'm not always able to do what I'm trying to do. I just kind of, 
again, try and take advantage of whatever opportunities are presented to me. Yeah, I feel like as an outsider, you you kind of drown people, man. That's that's typically how you win fights. Like you're you're a guy who comes out and like like you said, you don't have one hitter quitter power. You're not a jujitsu ace, but at the end of the day, like you're you really wear on people over the course of the fight, and you kind of find where they're weakest or where you think you can break them, and then you you do it. And that's what I've kind of watched. You know, I've watched probably I don't know eight or ten of your fights at this point, and that's really what I've seen from the outside. So that's what I'm looking forward to is you kind of taking, taking Kamosi into deep waters and then, you know, get, getting your signature finish here. That's the plan. Excellent. All right. So, um, talk to me a little bit We're you know, a little over halfway through the year, talk to me a little bit about your goals for the rest of the year, both in fighting or some personal goals you got. Um, I mean, fighting, I mean, obviously my next goal is to win this next fight um also i am still kind of holding out a little bit of hope that uh someone in the playoffs falls out and i get bumped up into one of those fights because you know i want to fight for that million dollars so uh that'd be ideal but uh right now i just got i got to focus on kamozi and uh just kind of move forward with that uh so try and win that um if i if I, something doesn't happen and I don't make it in the playoffs, um, I don't know. We'll see if uh, PFL, maybe they give me another fight on the undercard of uh, the playoffs or the finale. Um, yeah, if they don't, then I guess I have the rest of the year off until uh, till the season starts next year. So if that's the case, then I will uh, – obviously, there's always improvements that can be made, so I'll just go – back to back to the gym and uh, get some work in and just keep on getting better and be uh, be prepared for next season when I will have a better shot at making the playoffs since I'll have two fights to accumulate points instead of one. All right. What's your favorite thing about living the life of, of a professional fighter? And then on the other hand, what's your least favorite thing about the lifestyle? <clears throat> um, I, I love the life because uh, all I have to do is just – I, I just get to do what I love. I, I get to train. Like I get paid. To, well, I don't get paid to train, but I mean, I, I kind of do. Like uh, I just get to wake up every day and then go train. You know, that's what I would. If I was just ridiculously rich and didn't have to worry about money or anything, didn't have to have a regular job. I mean, that's what I'd be doing anyway. I'd pretty much what I'm doing now. I would just be living a higher quality of life. You know, but I would be, yeah, just I'd be training. I'd be reading, playing video games, woodworking, hiking, just all that stuff, which I get to do now. Um, it's just I, right now I just have to stress about money while I do it, which is the uh, worst part, in my opinion, of the life of a fighter is the lack of money and just the uncertainty. Like, for example, going into this fight, I know – well, assuming I don't get hurt and Kamosi doesn't get hurt and the fight actually happens, I know I'm going to make at least a certain amount of money, but I also might make double that money. And that's just always that's that's always been the worst part for me is like uh, I never know. Well, without PFL, where you have like a set schedule, like fighting for other organizations, I never know exactly when my next fight is going to be. And I never I know how much I'll get paid or or half of that you know for my next fight so you can't it's kind of tough to plan things like that you know you just 
the uncertainty of like when you're going to fight and how much money you're going to make. And yeah, you're just, just like, oh, I'm hoping to fight in a few months, but maybe that doesn't work with the promoter. So they don't want you to fight, you know, six months from now. So you're not going to get paid until then. And then when you do get paid, you don't know how much you're going to get paid. So just all that uncertainty, I would say, is probably the worst part. Does that ever screw with, like, the way you think about fighting once you're in the cage? It's like, you know, if I don't get this win or if I don't show out, you know, I may get half my purse. Does that change the way you think and process things in there? Uh, no. I mean, I'm I'm too I, – I got more important things to worry about. I got some dude who's trying to kill me. Yeah. So, I, I mean – so for, for 15 minutes or less, I can focus on that and forget about all the money, you know. Uh, yeah. And then just it's just kind of before and after, like, you just kind of got to plan for it. And and then it sucks, too, because, like, you might, you might have a fight, and so you know you're going to get paid at this date, and you start spending money on your camp, you know, coaches, nutrition, like, all this different stuff, and then you get hurt, or the other fighter gets hurt, and your fight gets canceled. So then you're you're already into it a certain amount of money and then you don't even get paid. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think, uh, besides the, the, besides the amount that fighters get paid, uh, I think just the fact that there's still a show and a win bonus is one of like kind of the dumbest things in MMA. It's kind of, kind of like an archaic thing from the nineties when it started. Like, I think that should be gone. I think it should either be flat rate or it should be it should be you get like if you were making say 10 and 10 it should instead be you're getting 15 and 5 with the 5 being a finish bonus not a win bonus because the whole concept of the win bonus is like uh supposedly it's supposed to make you fight harder for the win because then you get your money like i'm already fighting hard to win because i don't want to lose a fight like i don't want to get beat up so i'm already fighting hard for that um, but then, you know, sometimes it's out of your hands and you get screwed by judges and you end up with half your money. I think it should be, if you want to push for exciting fights, I think it should be finish bonuses, not uh, win bonuses, which is actually one of the good things about uh, ACA is they don't do it exactly how I just said, but they give you, if you get a finish, you get five grand, just nice little extra bonus just for getting any finish at all. It's not just like a set, just like the top three finishes or anything, just any finish, you get extra money. And then they also do uh, fight of the night and knock out of the night, submission of the night. So I always thought that was really cool of them. Do you think that's the biggest problem with modern MMA, the the, the, win, the win show pay structure? There's a few problems with modern MMA. I think that's one of the biggest ones. Judging has also uh, got to be near the top of the list. But, yeah, I think that's something that would uh, it would it would benefit the fighters a lot and just – yeah, just it would kind of take away a lot of that uncertainty because then there'd still be some uncertainty because, you know, fights get pulled, people get hurt, all this stuff. But then you'd at least know, oh, I'm going to get this amount of money like once I do fight. It's um, so like if you if you put it in the context of like a different job, like it, it wouldn't make much sense. Like, you know, you're an engineer or something and you go and you put in all the work that you normally would and then just at you know the end of the month like you just find out like oh i'm either gonna get what you should get paid or you're gonna get half of it like even despite putting in the exact same amount of work 
What do you uh, what do you think could be done for you know obviously this isn't affecting the Conor McGregor's the Nate Diaz of the world it's all the middle range you know lower end fighters that are having to pay for their own camps and they're having to basically roll the dice that a they're going to make it to the fight b they're going to get a win what do you think like the bigger organizations could do to kind of help these fighters and kind of take that anxiety and the stress off of them to just make it to the fight you know I don't. I don't really know of a perfect solution because like the, the only way for like the perfect solution, like from a fighter's perspective would be like if the promoter would be paying for all that stuff, which would give them ultimately a better product because they're, you know, making sure that their fighters who are working for them get all the proper training and nutrition and coaching and everything they need. But obviously from the promoter standpoint, that's just not going to work. It's just going to be, for mo other than for like the UFC, it would be just too much money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't really know like a perfect solution. I think part of, I think doing just flat rates would be like a start and would help instead of doing the show and the win. And I really don't think it would it would really like impact the quality of fights. Like I have a hard time. There, I mean, I'm sure there'd be a few guys who might just kind of like coast through a fight and just collect a check. But the majority of guys out there, I'm pretty sure are not going to want to get beat up. They're still going to want to win. And there's still like the, the reputation, the legacy and all that stuff that comes into play. But like, so I mean, even if you do, if you go out there and just like coast to a win and like, don't really even try and just collect your check, then I mean, they could just cut you anyway. Like, so I, I don't think there's, there's not really a perfect solution that I know of or have thought of, but I think a start would be kind of flat rates or, I mean, from the promoter standpoint, they want exciting fights. So don't do win bonuses because then some guys, you know, you get up two rounds, you know, you're winning, like you'll mm-hmm. coach the third round, um, you know, do finish bonuses. That way everyone's always working towards a finish. That just seems, it just seems logical to me. It seems like incredibly illogical to do the win bonus and, and justify it by saying you want exciting fights you want exciting fights you want finishes right so put a finish bonus that just it just seems like common sense to me Mm. Corey, as someone who didn't grow up with mma as a big part of their lives who do you think is the greatest mma fighter of all time and why is that um that's really tough and i mean that also depends like what you think makes the greatest MMA fighter of all time. Like you could, there's a few different ways you could look at that. You could look at that like, uh, you know, uh, quality of wins and like longevity of career. You could say like, you know, if every single fighter was in their prime and they fought, they all fought each other, like who would, who would be the one who would beat everyone else or at least beat, so what's important to you? What's important to Corey Hendricks? Um, the greatest fighter of all time. I mean, I generally look at it as like the most skilled fighter of all time. Um, you gotta <clears throat> like, I, yeah, I, I typically would look at it as like, you know, in their prime, like who would win in a fight. Obviously there's weight differences and stuff that makes it a little bit more complicated. Um, I do kind of think, I do kind of I, I respect the the longevity of careers and who's able to like stay at the top for the for super long competing against top level guys. I think that is important too. But 
I mean, there's a few names that kind of are definitely at the top. Like uh, a lot of people say Fedor, and I think Fedor's in the conversation. But uh, I also I just didn't watch him as much. And I think there's other heavyweights that are better. Like I think I think a prime Kane would probably beat Fedor. Um, DC, Car- yeah, DC uh, could beat Fedor. I I could see Fedor beating him too, though. Um, I think Stipe is hard to uh, argue with as the greatest heavyweight of all time, just with his accomplishments. Um, and there's guys like a lot of people throw Khabib in there. I think Khabib's up there. Uh, the only thing I really have against him is uh, his his striking just isn't up to par. Like it's 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 good, but it's not like up to par. Obviously, he just kind of doesn't need it. Um, he's just so dominant with his grappling. Uh, I think GSP might be if I if I had to choose someone, I might say GSP just because he's so well rounded. He obviously only lost twice, so there's not really much you can like say against him. Uh, I mean, you can say some of his fights were kind of boring because he didn't finish guys and he just kind of wrestled them. And but he was very dominant in them. So I think if I had to choose, maybe GSP. But there's other guys too, like uh, Aldo. I think should be in that conversation. Aldo's been fighting. I don't even know how long he's been at like the top. He's been since the WC days, which I don't even know what what was that back in like 2009, maybe or something. He's when he was first got the championship it, it might have been earlier than that i'm not sure and he's been at the the very peak of the sport always within always either having the title or within a fight or two of the title still competing with the very top guys in the division to this day like i think you got to respect that um anderson in his prime anderson silva in his prime was very good i i'm a big fan of adesanya i think mm-hmm. uh adesanya is one of the one of the very best fighters of all time. Uh, we haven't seen him tested too much on the ground. Obviously, Yan did and kind of kind of dominated him a little bit on the ground. Right. I guess maybe not dominated, but like Adesanya wasn't really able to do anything against him there. Right. But uh, big weight difference, though. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's that. Um, I think I'm excited to see what happens with the rest of his career. I think he might definitely be in that conversation he is for me and i think by the end of his career he probably will be for a lot of other people um usman usman's yeah he's tough to it's tough to see someone beating usman at this point um and i think he'll go down as one of the best ever demetrius johnson um i think uh peter yan might be in that conversation when he's done um yeah, there's so many, so many different guys that you could uh, throw in that no conversation. No one for John Jones. Dude, oh yeah, no John Jones. I thought you were uh, avoiding. No, uh, I, 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 yeah, I was trying, I was trying to hit all the weight classes, and I, I skipped over that one, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah John, actually, I take it back. Uh, GSP and John Jones are usually my uh, my go tos for if I had to choose the greatest. Because you look at uh, strength of schedule uh, for John Jones. I think he's had the toughest strength of schedule out of anyone. You just look at look at the names on that list, and he doesn't have – I mean, he has the Matt Hamill loss, but that's obviously not a loss. And, uh, you know, some people some people think he lost a few of the other fights, like uh, Tiago Santos, um, which I, I'd, I'd really need to watch that again to, to 
say who I thought won it. I think when I watched it live, I think I had I might have had John Jones slightly edging it, but it was really really close. Yeah. The uh, Dominic Reyes fight, I see a lot of people saying Dominic won. When I watched it live, I had John Jones winning that three to two. When I rewatched it, I still had him winning that. I don't think I, I, I don't think Reyes won that fight. I don't think a lot of the stuff that uh, I don't think a lot of the stuff he did was as effective as people think it was. But I mean, fights are hard to judge. Like that's one of the biggest problems with MMA is like it's just unless there's a finish, like it's a lot of times it isn't so clear cut. You'll get some people who think one thing, some people think the other, and a lot of people don't seem to understand what the actual rules and judging criteria are. Um, damage is the most important thing. Like mm-hmm. damage, it's, it's all about damage. It's like at the end of the day, like which which one would you rather be? Would you rather be a guy who got, you know, just wrestled the whole time and it's just, I mean, it's exhausting and it sucks and, you know, you're on bottom and you're getting like hit with these little pitter-patter shots or would you rather be, or the, the, it's the guy who just, you know, beats you up on the feet and like actually causes a lot of damage. A lot of people put way too much weight on wrestling and wrestling is important, but if you're not doing damage with it, then like, who cares? You just made me mm-hmm. really tired and that sucks. And maybe that would have led, <clears throat> led to a finish like down the road if the fight went, you know, more like if it continued longer, but it didn't. And so you just made me really tired and didn't do any damage. Damage is the most important thing. And unless damage is equal, then nothing else really matters. What would it be your solution to fix the judging issue? Or this is probably the biggest problem that fighters on the show bring up is just a shit show of, of judging. So what yeah. are some things that you would do to clean that up? Yeah, again, that's it's it's really tough. And I don't think there's actually like a perfect solution. Right. I think the whole system should probably be reworked. So they just took the boxing system over, which doesn't I mean it I mean it kind of works, but like it's just different. Like there's not grappling in boxing. Like, it's just, I think, one one thing I've heard that uh, I, I kind of like is having five judges instead of three just to get more eyes on it. Um, I don't think that would, like, completely solve it, but I, I could see that helping. Uh, there's also things like, uh, you know, putting the judges in, like, soundproof booths or having them, like, not ringside where the crowd can affect them. Um, but like having them like, you know, back somewhere watching the the TV feed or something, I think that could maybe help just so they're not influenced by the crowd, because I think sometimes they are. I think the right. biggest thing would just be holding them accountable, like having maybe I don't know if it's like, you know, there's three judges every fight, but I don't know how many judges there are in each athletic commission. But like, I don't know, maybe there's 10 of them or something, maybe, maybe every like all the judges score the fight like later on not during the fight but like mm-hmm. you know the next week or something they score all score the fight and if like you know nine judges score the fight one way and one judge scores it the other way like maybe that judge like gets demoted or penalized in some way because mm-hmm. there's just no accountability like mm-hmm. the judges put in their score and some of them are just awful like some of them like i you know, I, I get it. Like it was a real close fight. Like I could see it going either way. Like I get it. Like it's, it's hard to do, but, uh, some of them are just like blatantly bad and it screws over the fighters. They lose half their money. Um, I think just accountability for the judges would be the biggest thing. 
Thank you. All right. I got one more and then Billy's got a rapid fire question. Um, all right. What is the best advice you've received in martial arts or just life in general? The best advice I received. Oh, and I don't know. That's kind of tough to just come up with off the top of my head. Um, I was, at, I'll just go with it. I was asked this in, I was asked, what is my best advice towards a fighter for someone in just life in general? And so I'll just go with this because I, I can't come up with the best thing someone's told me off the top of my head. I think uh, one of the best things would be to uh, just develop your ability to learn. I think learning is a skill, I believe. And I think uh, that's one of the most important things is just learning how to learn, like, because that can just carry you through a lot of things in life, not just, I mean, fighting, obviously being able to learn new skills and stuff, but also just everyday life, just it can help you a lot in life. So learning and also probably something with discipline. I think discipline is one of the, the most important things you can have in fighting, especially, uh, but then also just everyday life discipline, uh, can, discipline and learning can get you to where you want to be along with hard work. It's kind of part of discipline. There it is. Well, Corey, everyone who comes on this show, we do a, a rapid fire segment, five five questions, just like a five round fight. Try and make it something that's not around MMA so much. So I know you're a Washington native, but you live in Las Vegas now. So I got five questions for you about Las Vegas here. Rapid fire. Let me know when you're ready. <laughs> All right. Let's hear it. All right. Question number one. What is the best restaurant in Las Vegas? Oh, boy. Uh, Bavette's. Question number two. What is something that tourists do in Las Vegas that you cannot stand? Tourists do? Um, oh, boy. Uh, man, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not around the tourists too much because I don't really go to the Strip a lot. Um, so, I, I mean, tourists don't really bother me. I'm just – I kind of avoid them, I guess. Number three, what is a little-known Las Vegas attraction that you really enjoy? Little-known? Um, it's not the littlest-known thing, but uh, the out, there's a lot of good outdoor stuff in Las Vegas. So I'm going to say uh, Red Rock, Red Rock Park. Uh, a lot of good hiking there. You know, people come to Vegas, they think just the Strip. Um, and the Strip's great. There's a lot of cool things there. But uh, there's a lot of good outdoorsy stuff around Vegas, a lot of good hiking and things like that. So I'm going to say Red Rock. Question number four. What is a Las Vegas stereotype that you think is absolutely true? Oh, uh, I don't know if it's a stereotype to uh, outsiders, but people here realize that there is a lot of bad drivers here. Just <laughs> Terrible driving. I don't know if it's because everyone's drunk or on drugs, but <laughs> bad drivers. Probably. <laughs> Question number five. What makes Las Vegas special for you? Um, I mean, the most special part of it for me is the training. Like the I mean, that's why I came here. Uh that's what I do most of my time here is training. Um so yeah, I guess training and the people I've met through the training. A lot a lot of good people here. You heard it from him. There is five questions. Corey Hendricks, he is fighting on the PFL. I believe it's August 27th against Chris Camozzi. 205-pound light heavyweight division. 
Corey, thank you for coming on the show. Let the people know where they can find you on social media and any shout outs you may have. Um, yeah, you can find me at uh, Corey H MMA on Instagram and Twitter, but I don't really do much on Twitter. Um, but yeah, Corey H MMA. Any shout outs or no? You good? I'll, I'll shout out uh, my gym and my coaches. Uh, we got. Oh boy, we got uh, Mike Pyle, uh, Neil Melanson, uh, Lorenzo Pavlica, John Wood, uh, John Gunderson, Frank Mir, um, Shane and Jerry Shapiro. Um, oh boy, I'm hoping I'm not forgetting any of them. I think that's all of them. We can edit it in later if we need to. <laughs> you heard it from him. Corey Hendricks. Thanks again, Corey, for coming on the show. I'm Billy Naden. He's Parker Keen. This was Corey Hendricks. Episode, what What are we on? 83, Parker, of Parker's MMA show. Corey, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Best of luck in the fight. And let us know next one you have booked, and we're happy to have you on again. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Good luck, brother. Have a good one. Thank you. See ya. Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Pruning, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborists on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and visit ParkerKeen'sMMAShow.Podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.